Well, hi, everybody. I'm Rick Dancer. Welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer. And we're going to talk about one of my favorite, favorite topics, um, church. What is it? <laughs> I personally and my wife, we left the institution um, known as the church. Um, I don't even know how long ago it was. I'm going to guess <clears throat> 15 to 18 years ago. And I have heard it all about what I'm doing wrong and how I'm not doing the right thing and all that. And it's really funny because the first few years um, I took it serious, you know, I kind of thought, God, am I, am I really doing the right thing? I mean, I grew up, you know, you had to, I, I grew up with perfect attendance pins. I mean, I went to church every Sunday and when we go on a, a trip on a vacation, we would have to go to church so that I could go back and get my perfect attendance pins. Like, like God gives a rip about a perfect attendant pin. And, and so that's how anal it was. And so for me to separate from it, I'm just fortunate. I have a wife who grew up in a family that they went, but it wasn't like a big deal. And so she just, she had no guilt, um, walked away and had no guilt at all. But then, um, and I don't even think Doug knew this, a local author lives out near Dexter, um, has written many books, but he wrote this book, leaving the church to follow Jesus. <laughs> and I thought, like, oh my God, he sent it to me. And I'm like, this is clarifying some really important things in my life. And so he's going to join us and talk with us a little bit. Um, our sponsors tonight, Chris Dental Family Dentistry, where everyone is welcome. Uh, Michael is one of my dearest friends. He's the best guy. And um, and he's uh, uh, he doesn't go to the same he doesn't have the same. Uh, we both believe in God. He, I, I'm not going to just he has a different church group that he goes to. And you know what? It doesn't matter. And when I was in church, that kind of stuff mattered. Well, you know, they go to such and such a church or so. And you know what? When I left the church, the first thing that happened to us, I started hanging out with a lot of Catholics, <laughs> which was really fun because I could hang out with Father Dave at the Catholic church. And and we just had a great time. And he goes and people would go, I thought you went to the brand X. And I said, oh, yeah, I used to. I don't do that anymore. And they were so much more open to me. So anyway, and Michael's not a Catholic, but I'm just saying a different church group. So he's one of our sponsors and um, our other sponsors, Buck Sanitary Service. And after this show, we may have to clean up some shit. <laughs> and it's always nice to have bucks around to do that for us. Because <laughs> some of you might not like what we're doing. And also Matt McCarl over at New Leaf Hyperbarics um, coming up this month on the 26th. Yeah, 26th is Green Saturday right after Black Friday. And they do a sale where you can buy as many treatments as you want for the entire year. So Matt will come on, have a little blurb on there to show you what's going to go on. But let's uh, let's get on to our topic. And this is Doug Hooley. How you doing, Doug? Thanks for I'm being doing here. Well. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Mr. Thank you, Doug, so much for sending me this book. Absolutely. Because um, I, I, I just picked it up and it came in the mail and I started looking at it and going, how did this guy know? I mean, I've been very open about my, um, you know, when I ran for office, Doug, what I found out is I hadn't gone to church and I ran to, to office and for office as a, you know, in, in a politic thing. And I, I walked away from politics and I went, you know what? That's the same as church. It's like a big institution full of rules and regulations and kind of things that none of it matters. It's not really about people. 
And, and I went, oh my gosh, should I tell all my friends? This is church and politics are the same thing. It's a bunch of dogma and, um, and it has very, very little to do with relationship anymore. So tell me, how did you get on this road? I know you've written other books, but how did you get on this road about, because that's pretty ballsy. I mean, because you, you're going to make people mad. Yeah, I would guess if this was written 400 years ago, it would be voted the book most likely to get its author burnt at the stake. <laughs> well, you'd, so, be, you'd be hanged or burned at the stake, that's for sure. Absolutely. Um, I'm not intentionally trying to, uh, like you said a couple of days ago, piss anybody off. But uh, in the name of truth, I'm happy to do so. <laughs> you know, if I'm pissing you off, great. Uh, buy the book. I'm not saying that to sell the book, but get the book, read it and do your own studying on the points that I'm, I'm making or the claims I'm making and prove me wrong. I would, I would love that uh, in the name of truth. So uh, anyway, the, you know, first off, the, the uh, worldview that I'm approaching all this from is many would call me a Christian. Actually, many who've read the books would say, that man's not a Christian, <laughs> but um, many would say because I believe in Jesus that I'm a Christian. I, I don't like the term Christian. I don't either. Because it brings with it too many uh, stereotypes and connotations. It uh, People think they know exactly what I'll believe about God. They think that they'll know how I'll vote. Um, they think they'll know how I would judge their lifestyle and what my lifestyle's like. So I, I don't like that term, but I understand it, and I don't get on anybody's case when they use it. But I read, I read somewhere, Doug, that it means actually like a Christian is like a baby Christ or something like that. You know what I mean? It meant smaller than Christ. And yeah, it was kind of what bothered me is it's like, gosh, I'm, I, I mean, I'm not bigger than Christ, but it's like you can't be a baby yeah. and be doing this. I mean, being a, a follower of Christ, I call myself a follower of Christ. And, and it's, you know, and then, and, and I think that's kind of co covers it for me. Yeah. Well, Christian, essentially, it means a follower of Christ. So it is technically what you're calling yourself. But from early on, when they first started becoming Christians, like sometimes the heretical sects, the ones that were believing in things weren't technically true, would make it into a community before the real Christians would get there. And they called themselves Christians. And so the term Christian soon was meaningless. It's like, what do you mean by Christian? I think the same thing now when somebody tells me, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean you were born in Serbia and you're ethnically like a Christian? Or does it mean that you were raised in a Christian family? Or does it mean that you embrace the principles as found in the Bible? So it's a it's a little bit of a lame-o term as far as I'm concerned. And now let's get under the church one too, because you said church is really only mentioned three times, and that's because of the translation, right? Yeah, uh, the word church. That's a big topic, but uh, the word that is translated as church throughout the New Testament and hundred and some odd times. Um, is usually taken from a word that's called ecclesia. It, it means, literally means called out. Ek means out of, and kaleo means uh, to call. So it means to be called out. And like 400 BC in Athens, uh, Jesus and Paul didn't make this word up, right? Uh, they got it from a word, and so we need to know how they were using it. It meant to be called out from the rest of your community for a special purpose. 
as opposed to when the word church started getting used, it was uh, from Kyrie or Krios of the Lords. And it was used in conjunction because it wasn't until like the 300s when people started meeting in buildings. And so they needed a word for that. So they they called it a, a Kyrios or the Kyrios Oikos, the house of the Lord. So it literally meant a building. And that word kind of uh, evolved into Kirke and that evolved into church. And so essentially what we're saying when we say church now is uh, God's house, as opposed to the way Jesus and the apostles used it, which meant called out people, called out for a special purpose people. Being a called out one, which is what I, I prefer to call myself, um, and hopefully I am one, is a state of being. It's an appointment. It's not a place to go on Sunday. It's not a list of activities to do. People, so, when people used to ask me, what church do you go to? And I say, I'd say, how do I go to what I am? That's the exact right answer. Yeah. Right. I think right. so I go to a building, I go to the faith center building and that makes yeah. me more, more yeah. called out one. No, I don't have to. I mean, there's nothing, you know, I, there's nothing predominantly wrong with going to a building. You uh, just skipped ahead to like page 525. So you might as well just close the old book, Rick. <laughs> no, because I don't want to yeah. miss any of that other stuff. Yeah, because I'm telling you, this book, it's really intense. And, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's that because, because it, Doug, you really get into the weeds and, um, and you know, with, with what you're doing here. And I think yeah. that's the powerful thing about it. I, I tried to boil it down to the the important weeds. I mean, I, like I'd say at the very beginning of it, I've been drinking church history through a fire hose and filled up like Lake Superior. And I had to boil all that down to a mud puddle size. And it still ended up 529 pages long. So what is the get the what is the thing people should get about you know with the argument and I've already, I've already had people write it not on here but when I wrote something else about it was like say well no it says you need to be gathering as a as a in an assembly you need to be part of the assembly and I know my argument for that but explain when when people bring that up um, they that the early I think people get this idea and you've talked about this in here that the early Christians. Um, we're, we're, you know, having revivals and meeting in buildings and all this stuff. They were hiding because people were after them. This was not like a popular thing to be a Christian. And they weren't, it wasn't like a, you know, a, a movement like that. They were, they were sneaking around in back alleys and wherever they could meet. Absolutely. When they, when they took the gospel, the good news of Jesus home with them to wherever they were living, like in Antioch, for example, um, the rose-colored glasses church history that is usually uh, put out there for Christians is that immediately church started looking like how we think of it today. Like there was a preacher and there was a building and there were sermons on Sunday and they would get together for potlucks and they would sing worship songs. It was nothing like that. Like picture you're the only person in the community that had come to believe in Jesus. And since there was no Bible and not even any New Testament letters in circulation for a couple of decades, all you had to go on was what you heard back in Jerusalem. And right. so then maybe a year goes by and you bump into somebody else who somehow they came to believe. Okay, two of you get together. Now you're having a, a gathering of the ecclesia, the called out ones. You're having church between you. That's how it started out. Maybe you were the slave of some slave owner and you could never, you didn't have Sundays off. 
nobody had Sundays off. Everybody worked seven days a week until Emperor Constantine. And so there just wasn't this Sunday morning that was set aside. It wasn't a Saturday. If they met on Saturdays, it would have been in the evening because many of them were Jews and the Sabbath was holy. But, you know, if people say that, and I hear that all the time, you know, it's uh, uh, there's scripture that says, don't forsake the gathering of the together, gathering together, even as that day, the return of Jesus approaches. That gets used all the time. That's like the main scripture that gets used. I agree 100% with them. It Right from the get-go in the Bible, in Genesis, it talks about it's not good for man to be alone. We are social creatures. We right. need each other. Uh, we gain strength from that. Well, especially Christians, they need each other because um, our purpose together is to strengthen our faith, or which is belief, which means to gain a greater understanding in Jesus. And so we need each other to do that, uh, bounce things off of one another about. But the deal is all of these people that are saying, don't forsake the gathering of together and you need to get together in a, ch in a church. And I would agree with them, but I'll explain what I mean here in a second, okay. uh, why I sighed. Um, they are saying that what is going on in all of these buildings on street corners right now with crosses on the front door are meeting in a manner that would be supported by the New Testament. And what I'm saying in the book is, no, you are not. The two are not anywhere near the biblical model. And I know every pastor would say, we only do what's biblical in this church. I know yeah. every pastor would say that. But so where, did the, uh, where did they get the plate from then? How the did that collection plate? That didn't happen back then. Oh, right. And you'll read you all about that in there. Facetious. Yeah. Let me ask you another question, too. Okay. You also talk about professional pastors, and this has irritated me for a long time. Is sure. Paul, he was a, a fisherman. He he was knitting, he was fixing uh, nets, and right. they had jobs. They had real, and you address this in here. They had real jobs, and it wasn't a profession because once it's a profession, then how do you really? do the job because you're dependent on those people putting into the plate. And so you've created a system that has, it, it's, it's, I think that Jesus would vomit. Yeah. Well, here's the bigger point to make about that. And I do address that. And I go over every passage that they are citing, which would support them getting a salary, which uh, are for the most part, not completely, but for the most part, misuse is do not, all of this stuff, these claims that I'm making in the book that I think are very on rock solid ground, do not ever expect a person who was trained in seminary or a Bible school, who is a pastor in a particular denomination or represents a conference that is gaining a salary <laughs> from the church. They're making a living and they're supporting their family. Don't expect any of them to go against what they've been brought up on and are teaching about every Sunday. If you want to have answers about these things, I, I do suggest you challenge them with that, but you're going to get a 180 degree different answer than what you're going to read in the book because it, they it's, you know, cognitive dissonance. Even if they were, many of them were to buy into what I'm saying, they have too much invested in ever doing a 180 and changing their mind about it. I know some, some, awesome pastors that are awesome 
as people, and they have a legitimate heart of a pastor. To this day, I, I, I know people like that, and I've known them in my past. I don't think that those guys have any ill intentions whatsoever. They're not trying to deceive anybody, but they've been raised in this cultural tradition that's been handed down for 1900 and some odd years and guarded by this institution. And there was a day just a few hundred years ago where if you disagreed with any of those things, and I'm not just talking about Roman Catholics, not just talking about the Inquisition, I'm talking about Protestants too. If you disagreed with them, you'd be taken out and drowned because you believed in adult baptism instead of being baptized as an infant. You wow, disagree, sounds, sounds you're going to really be drowned. Familiar. Like if you believed in COVID or vaccines or <laughs> it's kind of like we're reliving this whole thing. And it's the same co concept is I'm right. You're wrong. And I, I think the thing that bothers me about the professional pastor thing is if we trust that God calls us out, then who's to say that one of the kindest people I've ever met who I think was had a pastor's heart was this young man named a young guy named Billy. And I did a story. He was homeless basically. And he was, he was giving people sleeping bags from his home and he had nothing. And I said, so, but if he went to a church or somewhere and walked in and said, I'm going to share what the love of Jesus is. Would I have a feeling some pastors say, well, now we have a board that we go through and we need to, we need to vet everybody out make sure you're not just some crazy person coming in here off the streets. And, and we have, you know, we have to get our 3.2 songs in and then we have the time for collection place. So we're, we're not going to have time for you for a couple of months. When if you're the called out ones, it's like, that's what is exciting about following God. I think is when, the most un, unexpected things come out of the most unexpected people. And that's, to me, um, the truly called out. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. And <clears throat> I know that, all right, in terms of, like, Jesus could impart the simple gospel message and everything you needed to know yeah. about gaining eternal life in, like, five minutes and then move on. And yet we sit in church Sunday after Sunday, getting beat over the head with how to behave ourselves. But anyway, Jesus could do that in five minutes. And that was simply, um, all you have to do is believe that he is the son of God and the Messiah, right? And you trust him that because of that, he has the ability to make sure that you are going to live forever after you die. That's the core of the gospel. That is the summation of the gospel, that you just believe in that by itself. So I hear all of the Christians out there right now who are watching this saying, yes, but, you know, there's always a big but <laughs> you know, the, about the the most recent big but that I heard was uh, a couple days ago. I was searching out, leaving the church to find Jesus on YouTube videos to see what other people are saying about that. And I heard this one pastor interviewing another pastor. And this sounds familiar, but he was saying, so, pastor. When somebody comes to you and they say, um, I'm not leaving Jesus, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I can no longer trust the church. What do you say to that guy? And this pastor, I'll connect the dots here for you. This pastor said, I would say that that person is leaving the authentic Jesus and yep. they're following a Jesus of their imagination yep. because the real Jesus established the church. Right. And the apostles built on that. And so if you leave that church, the church, you are saying, I don't love the real Jesus. Well, 
Every Christian out there within the sound of my voice knows that if you don't love Jesus, what does that mean? It means you're going to burn in hell. So connecting the dots, leave the church, you're going to burn in hell. <laughs> and that's the kind of reason that so many pastors have used, and they, they add these big butts to the gospel, making it no good news at all. They make it a false gospel, a twisted gospel. And well, then, there are hundreds of ways they do that. And Doug, those same people would be critical of other churches that excommunicate people for not living up to the, the same false rules of their churches and organizations as the Christians do. And I remember when we left, people were like, oh, like we right. were lost. Like we had suddenly, we were now following Satan. I mean, that was exactly what it sounded like. And it was like, I mean, it was devastating for a couple of years because you'd, and you'd see people and they say, oh, where did you guys land? Yeah. And I said, on earth. And I'm yeah. not very good because I, my wife gets mad at me because I just, I come up with answers that I, I are designed to piss them off, but sure. to make them think too. And to go, where did I land? I left something. I didn't, I didn't leave Jesus. I left this thing because it was taking me away from Jesus. Like your book, it's like, I, I'm, I don't want to be trapped in a wall. I had this one, one time is, is really interesting, Doug. I had this um, little, like, I'm very visual, you know, and I had this picture from, I think it was like a dream, you know, and, and I was in a field and there was a fence, a white fence around this field. And then in the middle were all these people crunched together and they were looking around and, um, you know, and, and that was this core group of people. And I think that was the, the church. And then out in the pasture, there were little other groups. And then there were just single people and just people all like that. <clears throat> and I remember I felt like God told me in this dream to go to the fence. And I walked to the fence <clears throat> and he says, touch it. And I reached out and touched the fence. There was no fence. And he goes, you are to show those people that this is, there's no fence. This is like, this is like a big wide open field where you have lots of, you know, very few limitations and lots of, of expectations of me. And, and let me just kind of show you this whole thing. And that's when I felt like, okay, I'm free. You know, I mean, I am out the door and I am free. What a weight off your shoulders, huh? Yeah. And then I could really see who Jesus was in the, the unlikely people that were put into my life. You know what I mean? And I started going, oh, my gosh, because I kind of feel like, Doug, do you ever think like when we get to heaven or where, you know, whatever happens after this, you know, when we're there and you're standing in line and, and I bet you look out at all the people that are in your in your called out section and God's going to go, all of you touched each other's lives. You're all interwoven. And yeah, yeah that's, no doubt. that's the ecclesia. Right. It's not the building. The building is going to be these people with false expectations about what was supposed to happen. Where's my, I remember my dad used to say, I've got a mansion in heaven. And I'm going, Dad, you know what a mansion to God is? Mount Hood. 
you know <laughs> it's like you're not gonna how how culturally stupid is that that i'm gonna have this really nice house and then i'm gonna have a jaguar and all the cool things that god's gonna give me it's like no he's gonna give you peace that's what i that's what you want when you are when you're called out you want peace you want understanding you want to get how he works i don't give a shit about about jaguars and a fancy house when i get to heaven and your third learjet yeah <laughs> so yeah well, what did you, you why did you write this book why did you write this book um well like i say the perspective i write from is as a a called out one jesus is uh i don't take these terms lightly my master i am his bond servant and he is my king i bend my knee to him I am of his household. Uh, he has branded my heart with his family name, and I am jealous for his household. So this book comes from a place of passion because I got to a point when I could no longer stand by and watch people, namely uh, mostly pastors, people in spiritual authority over others, misuse many of the scriptures, God's word, and do it in the name of Jesus, my master, to direct them to uh, a bunch of crap, I'm sorry, but uh, unbiblical ways that we meet together. Something before I go on, what you just said, your fence deal uh, is so true. It's like when you're within the fence, you know, this answers it for the people that say, well, what are you going to do for church? You know, how are you possibly going to find other people? And what, how's that going to work? Ah, they're scared. I mean, you know, maybe rightfully so, because it's out of a place of not really understanding. Um it's like when you get outside the fence, there must be thousands of ways now to get together in the name of Jesus, as opposed to when you are within the fence, whatever one of your 35,000 to 45,000 different denominations that you are a part of, there is one way to get together. And that's the way that the pastor is telling you to get together. So it's incredibly freeing. Right. I remember we started like we started like a home church when we first left. And my wife and I, but all we did was mimic what we, what we knew and, and it all fell apart because it was the same thing we were doing, we were redoing it. It was like, not, not until we just stopped playing church and started being church that it changed and got now. Right. This thought, I got to run a couple of things here for, for all my right. sponsors, but I'm not done with you. <laughs> all right. This is awesome stuff. This is Dr. Michael Brown from Chris Dental. Don't ever forget how they made us feel for questioning what we put in our bodies. Don't ever forget how they made us wear masks and social distance, not based on scientific evidence, but politics. Don't ever forget what they did to our children by keeping them out of school and then making them wear masks. This November and every election to come, never let them forget what they did to us. remember to throw a little love our our direction of our sponsors because that's how we can afford to do this and uh, you know it's a this is my uh paul's tent making or um 
as uh, net making. So that's kind of how it all works. So um, uh, Tim Heinmarsh uh, is one of my sponsors too. Christ saves people in ways I completely disagree with. C.S. Lewis. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, how what, do we get there? Do you feel like the the dogma and the things? I mean, I mean, people people cannot deny if you look at statistics, um, people are fleeing the church, the institution. Right. I like to call it the institution, but now I'm going to start calling it the called out ones, the, the church, the called out ones. But because they're they're fleeing and or when, instead of going to um, having more people coming to church, they're just switching churches. Oh, I'm not happy. Worship's not good. Too fast. I want more slow songs. I want more fast songs. I mean, it's become this show and it has no life in it and, and people are leaving it. Is that partially why you wrote this book to say, I mean, we can be, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, let me list out for you here. My journey, try to be, I'll try to be brief is Christian all my life, raising a Mennonite Brethren Church, which is kind of like what you can think of as a evangelical Baptist church. Okay. Went there till I was married. My wife, Angela, and I continued to go there afterwards. Went there long enough. I became an elder. So I've got I've got a relationship, long-term relationship with different churches. Then we started churching around because it just didn't really feel like uh, it's meeting our needs anymore. Early 90s, I had thought of myself as pretty much a good student of the Bible, and I, especially in Bible prophecy. And I had, you know, I'd been adhering to evangelical church teaching on it. I'd read all the Dave Hunt and Hal Lindsey books and bought it hook, line, and sinker. Then my mother-in-law, God bless her, gave me this book and it completely changed my mind. Not because I was shallow, had a shallow understanding, but because this guy talked about how to study scripture uh, by a set of rules called hermeneutics, how we study literature. And it was through studying it myself now with a set of principles that, gosh, my mind was changed. Uh, I would have died on that hill before I changed my mind. And that shook me up pretty bad. It's like, how could I possibly believe something completely different than what I believed before? So I didn't throw the theological baby out with the bathwater, but I, I definitely, from that point forward, learned how to study right. And I really looked at what was being said with critical eyes, critical thinking. So now fast forward to the uh, around 2000, Y2K was coming. And I'd really been kind of boning up on my prophecy even more. I started writing a publication uh, monthly in response to Y2K because everybody thought it was the end of the world, especially in yeah. churches, because they started superimposing the headlines over the top of uh, misunderstanding Bible prophecy. So I started doing this newsletter, which became the basis of my first book called Watch, which is a 400 page commentary on four pages of the Bible. If that doesn't sound exciting. But anyway, lots of studying. And about that time, we started going to this other church because of circumstances where these guys were studying the Bible in the original, uh, well, copies of the original manuscripts, Greek and Hebrew. And I was listening to them Sunday after Sunday, explain how they were making decisions about how they were translating. And what? People make decisions based on their worldview and their experience and their prejudices on how to translate the Bible. So that was a whole new thing that I started getting fascinated with. And I started doing myself then. And when I did, I started reaching a lot of different conclusions than what I had been taught for decades in the evangelical church. So then we go to this other church due to circumstances and 
these guys now are really educated. They're PhD college professors teaching from the original languages. And they've been teaching for decades how to study scripture. Learned a lot from them. Before we went there, I'd go on walks with my wife and I would talk to her about these things that I'd been, these conclusions that I'd been coming to. And she said, well, that's, that's great, honey, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> yeah, don't talk out loud. Yeah, because they're so different than what we'd been taught in the evangelical church. Well, we went to this new church. These guys were, uh, you know, like suddenly they're teaching these conclusions that I'd came to independently from them. So that was cool. But more often than not, I would go home Sunday after Sunday pissed off because <laughs> these guys were saying that scripture meant something different that I'd been taught my entire life. So I'd go home and I'd study it for myself and I, from an angry point of view, wanting to prove these guys wrong. And 80% of the time, not 100%, 80% of the time, my mind was changed and my, my point of view has changed. So we took a break from church when my kids started getting married and move away from home. I'm getting there how this book came about, Rick. Trust me. Oh, you're fine. Um, you're fine. Yeah. So uh, my grandkids are getting old enough now to be impressionable and start going to church. And some other kids of mine are starting to go to church. My wife and I want to be supportive of that. We want to show them how important God is to us in our lives. And so what do you do if you're a Christian? I mean, that's the first question I, you're asked. Question. Yeah. When, yeah. Yeah. Is uh, where do you go to church? So falling in line, we started going to church. We found a, a, a pretty large evangelical church in our area that reflected the same stuff that had been taught that I grew up with and that we had heard about for so many years. But now it's been over 10 years that I've been in an evangelical church. And so I was in for a big life-changing experience. So we went there for three years and Sunday after Sunday, uh, I heard the, the, the core of the gospel, the part about salvation presented the good news presented and then uh, this might take more explaining than i have time for but i i heard the good news part of the gospel systematically taken out of it right. sunday after sunday one thing after another piled on top of the gospel which adding to the gospel makes it no gospel at all and it's always subtle it's like the big butt that i explained earlier can you, give an example? Can you give an example? I gave the example earlier with the uh, uh, if you don't go to church, which it's funny, you opened the show with talking about you had to you had to get your gold stamp for church attendance. Uh -huh. um, That's not biblical. No, I will say it was halfway done tongue in cheek. Mm -hmm. But an example is if you don't if you don't show up to church here next Sunday, bring us a church bulletin from the church that you went to while you're away on vacation. Right. Like I say, a little halfway jokingly, everybody would chuckle about it, but halfway not jokingly because of the importance placed on church attendance. And that's what you do if you're a Christian. So that's an example. And where, uh, is that, where, and where is that ever found in the Bible? That is not. Like I say, no. it is clearly not. You will have people that will quote scripture all day long, but uh, read the book. And consider the things that I'm talking about and uh, taking scripture in the right context and the arguments that I make and tell me that that's in there uh, explicitly. It's so not. We have, we have, 
Doug, we have someone who wrote on here, Corey Wright, Corey Rita, I think it is. You need to do your due diligence in finding the right church for you. The Bible calls his people the church, and he tells us to gather together to support each other. Yeah. So, Rick, uh, prior to coming on live with you, you and I were talking, and we were talking about Jesus stuff. You and I were having... Ecclesia. Communion. We were, we two, Ecclesia, were communicating, iron sharpening iron, talking about God stuff. Wherever two were gathered in his name, there he is also. The idea that um, is out there is that church is a certain thing. You have a worship service, you have an offering, you have a, a, a pastor that preaches, you know, all of that stuff. I go I painstakingly go over in the book, which took me six years to research, and I read a ton of books about it, uh, all the history stuff. All of that stuff essentially comes from pagan cultures, uh, the lust for money, a misunderstanding of scripture, heretical sects of Christianity, and flat out ignorance. And many other things get drug in to 2,000 years of religious BS, biblical shamefulness. <laughs> and, and, yes. and it's not just, it's not just wrong. But it's but it's leading people in the wrong direction, and so pe people can be going to church and getting the biblical church, but are they really getting what God told us that we're supposed to have? I learned this from studying Hebrew. It's all of a sudden I'm going, wait a minute, how how did you know? For me, I I wondered, Doug, and you know, why don't we? Why did we give up the Sabbath on a Saturday? It never. There's no. There's nowhere. In the Bible, where it says "stop, stop honoring the Sabbath," nowhere, and right. and yet we we made it. Well, Sundays are more. Let's make it Sunday. And there's so much stuff that we've watered down that you yeah. got to go back and really, like you're doing with this book, is figure out what's what's the bullshit and what's the real stuff. Exactly. Because because our lives, it's hard enough to take the time, like to do, to do the real stuff with, let alone dancing on hoops, you know, ju jumping up and down. How many committees can I be on and all that kind of stuff? It's yeah. that's not serving God. I think that serving God, well, you know, maybe it's one way. Of, I, I just, I don't know. Yeah. I just get so tired of the dogma and, and the people that give me when, you know, and no offense to you, Corey Rita, but when people give me that comment, it's very arrogant to me. Because it's saying, you just need to find a church. You don't know me. You don't know what God's called me to do. God called yeah. me out. He called Doug out. So don't put me to your standard because it doesn't say what you think it says in there. And so you can't yeah. keep doing that as we as believers, putting that expectation on people when it, it really doesn't matter. They need to be, yeah. you know, I mean, like you said, I've had more relationships with other Christians and great conversations with people and found God through all kinds of means that have nothing to do with going to a building unless it's yeah. a Starbucks. Yeah. I, I would just ask, I don't remember the name of the lady, but uh, her and the thousands of people like her that believe that, that they would just not let it go based on what they have been told by their probably very trusted pastor who is a part of this paradigm, this institutional paradigm. Please, sorry. Yes, okay. Re-examine the issue again for yourself. And uh, that's what I try to do in the book is I try to help people 
where to look and, uh, you know, how to relook at scriptures and just consider it and study it for yourself and then talk to your pastor about it or whoever spiritual leader you have in your life about those kind of things. I, I wrote the book not to start a bulldoze the church movement, right. not even not even to try to get people to not go to church next Sunday. I wrote the book to try to clarify what it means to biblically follow the authentic Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, and separate that out from all of the many cultural traditions and expectations that have been placed on top of what the Bible says. And so that's what I try to document. Right. Because isn't there a lot of things Jesus said about don't add to the law? Don't add to. Um, and, and, and one of the reasons he got so ticked off when he came back and they were selling pigeons, um, you know, to the people. They, so people were going, poor people were going in and they had to have a pigeon or something to sacrifice in the Old Testament. And they were poor. So the church was selling them pigeons yeah. So that they could go sacrifice. And that's what pissed Jesus off. That's why he's so mad. He's seeing all this stuff, these little, little things that people were, that the church was doing that. And, you know, back then the church was the, 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 the Jewish synagogue and that kind of thing. But they were adding to the law. They were making up these things and charging people to do this stuff. And that's just, <clears throat> you know, somebody wrote on here about um, something about uh, not paying taxes. And I thought, how does the church excuse itself from, Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's when. Yeah. And and so if, if you're a, a, a church and you're not paying, you're, you're getting a, you know, a, 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 a what is that? A, um, I can't even think of the word right now. I'm kind of yeah, tax exemption, a tax or, exemption. When yeah. Jesus told it, it was very clear that we are to give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And, and yeah. Not. So then if the church really wanted to have an impact on people's lives, they wouldn't have people looking at them so disgusted when they're getting to write off their building and all that other stuff. And maybe we as Americans shouldn't be exempt on our tithing that we give to charities and that stuff, because I think it's supposed to be hard anyway, isn't it? It's supposed to be difficult and from our, not from our surplus, but from our real life. And that's, that's when it, it makes it, it, an impact more. Yeah. It, all of that stuff you're talking about, it's like, the strata is so deep and there's so yeah. many levels of it that, you know, we find ourselves talking about a tax exemption for a building. And the, the concept of having a building is not even supported in the New Testament. And right. yet now we're debating whether or not the building and this institution should have a tax exemption. Well, it's like, as far as I'm concerned, my advice would be do whatever the heck you want because you're starting from the get-go from an unbiblical perspective. So now you're arguing about arguments on top of arguments. Right. What do I care? Wouldn't that be interesting though, if you said, if, if, if we started living the way that it tells us to live and, and, and even though culture says we can do something, that doesn't mean it's right. Could you imagine the impact an ecclesia could have on a community if they really started like, to, that's to me, Doug, that is the importance of this book is if you could go in and find all the things you don't have to do and, and or, or things that even the government says we don't have to do because we're a 501c or whatever we are. Um, and you said, no, but you know what? My community, if Bill and Jean and John and them all have to, and all these other businesses that go to my building, 
have to pay taxes. I want to pay. Could you imagine the impact that would have on people's lives to go, what, you're really giving that up? You don't have to, but you're giving it up because in here, it, you know, it's not in the book, the Bible. And, and so all of a sudden you're being more culturally, uh, um, I don't know, just a, a bigger heart. You're, you're serving people more. Just, yeah, just, I, I don't think I'm I saying it well, but. I, I wouldn't approach it from a, I'm trying to please the culture we live in perspective. Right. I would approach it from oh, trying God. to live out a biblical life perspective, which right. ends up being in much the same place that you're talking about. I'm I not about like marketing Jesus. I want to make Jesus look good. I think he does that himself. <laughs> and that's the role of his Holy Spirit that does that. No, that's, that's what good. will attract people. That's um, really good, Doug. Yeah. But what you're talking about is giving up all of that stuff is incredibly freeing. I, I can't express how much of a weight is lifted off of my shoulders to not have to participate in that paradigm and how sad it makes me to know that people that I love feel like they have to. It's like a weight, a bondage. And most of them would tell you, oh, no, it's not. Um, but then oh, I can't tell you how many of them have told me privately I just don't know how I'm supposed to do all of this stuff I'm supposed to be doing uh, an incredible weight on their shoulder. Right. And OK, so I'm going to bring you back. I got two more people I want to put or one more uh, spot I want to put on here, but I don't I'm not okay. finished with you. Yet. We got like 15 minutes. So hang on. We okay. are going long, but you're, this is my favorite topic. So you're just going to have to hold on. All right. <laughs> OK, um, you guys, this uh, Matt McCarl from Newly Hyperbarics and Wellness Center um, has a big special coming up. And he and I cut this today. Um, Watch this for a second. Saturday is the Saturday following Thanksgiving. We do it during Shop Small Weekend, all that fun stuff for folks here locally. It's the time of year where folks can get the lowest price point of the year for their hyperbaric sessions. This year, it's $65 a piece. As many treatments as folks want to put on their account, you can buy it at one. You can buy 10, 20, 30, 40. We have folks that come in and buy enough treatments to last them all year round. That also is for massage. So you can get massage $65 a piece. And starting last year, we incorporated our power bed into the sale. We can get the power bed for $35 a piece uh, for the 20-minute light therapy session as well. It's a great way to get the treatments you need so you can be as healthy as possible throughout the year using hyperbarics, massage, light therapy, all the goods to make you feel amazing. So when did they? When can they order them, and when does it actually happen? Tell like because I know there's different ways that works. So we actually started pre-ordering this week. So folks can pre-order. You just call in and say, or come in and say, hey, I want ten of them. I want one of them. I want five of them. And if you want us to charge that day without calling you and interrupting your holiday weekend, you just leave a credit card on file. If you prefer, we will call you that day and take care of the sale that way. 1200 Executive Parkway, Suite 230. Give us a call at 541-636-3278. All right. Again, Matt McCarl. And here's another thing, guys. We're looking for your input. So I, in the comment section, I just put it. It's also in the lead. Um, we're doing a survey. There's a link to the survey we're doing. We want to know what you want to see in content. What kind of stuff do you like better? Interviews like this? Do you like political stuff? Do you like this stuff? We want to know what you're thinking, how old you are, that kind of stuff. It'll take you five minutes to do the survey, but just go on there and find that for yourself. And we would really appreciate your help. Okay. So, um, Doug, real quick, um, 
are, I think that you missed my point of the church being his people. I am part of a Christian community that attends several churches. The Bible tells you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If you are not free to debate various interpretations, then you are not in the right church. Unfortunately, most people don't want to study and interpret the Bible for themselves. If you are truly studying, you will always be examining your heart. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, people that that might say I'm not smart enough to read the Bible and come to any conclusions on my own. I would say you probably are. You know, if you're if you're functioning in society, you can learn how to study the Bible. Most Bible studies today um, are like you get together and you go around the room, you read a passage of scripture and you say, now, what does that mean to you? How do you feel about that? And that is not the way to study no. and get at the meaning of scripture at all. You need to know all sorts of stuff, but that's not the way. But people can learn these things. And I would say quit using that as an excuse and grow up. You, you need to take the personal responsibility. You need to not superimpose your responsibility on some guy standing up in front of the auditorium on Sunday morning and saying, and I had a doctor tell me this one time, I prefer to let the pastor tell me what to think about spiritual matters. You are not relieved of your responsibility as what is supposed to be a priest when you are called out. You have the title of priest. That's your responsibility. So if you don't know how to study scripture, figure it out, get used to it, grow up and do it and uh, take responsibility for these things. I think what I always got that what I've learned since going to Bible studies when I was, you know, in my church days, um, it was always about what, like you said, what does that mean to you? And is God speaking to you? Does that like thing? What, what I learned later was that the Bible's not written. It's written to me. It's not about me. Because exactly. you read Jeremiah 29, 11, and I think, oh, that must be God has a plan for me. Well, that was written right. to Jeremiah. It, it Does it mean that there's not a plan for my life? No, God's doing stuff with my life. But we take those things and we superimpose it on us and uh, magically this verse or, you know, somebody comes right. up with that. And, and that's just, it's, it's so much bigger than that because what you're trying to figure out, and, and I think the other part, Doug, for me is that if we truly believe that God's in charge and that he's sovereign, then you, and you had something in here and I don't understand it, but I don't want to bring it up on here in terms of us discussing it. You and I need to talk about this one. I totally get what you're saying in a way, but it's like, if he's sovereign, then no matter what I do, um, his will mm. is being done. Right. And and that, I, I'll tell you, Doug, just between you, me, and whoever else is watching, <laughs> <laughs> that was life-changing. It was like I realized all the guilt trips and the things where I, where I were, were hung up on. And that yeah. really broke something for me because I'm going, yeah. oh, wait a minute. So it doesn't mean I, I get a, a, a pass, a go no. pass free I can go do whatever I want, but it means when I screw up and do stuff like that, I don't have to lay my life out and fillet myself. I can sit there right. and go, oh, wait a minute. Maybe this is really because if I believe God knows I was going to make that mistake, that this is really in some way part of his plan to get me to go over here. That That's profound stuff, and that is not yeah. what we're taught in church. No. Yeah. it's uh, God does have your back if you are His one of his called out ones. There is nothing, there is no condemnation that can be known 
for those who are in Christ Jesus, to quote the, the scripture. And that's the essence of what that's about. Um, there are still very real ramifications on this earth for stupid decisions. But uh, as far as the big picture, eternity and all of that, you're, you're standing with God. Um, it's, it's like uh, you work for this boss that just absolutely loves you. And no matter what you do, he's put in writing that you're not going to get fired. And yeah. so it, it is a huge deal uh, and, what you're talking about there. And isn't that what we want to be to our kids? You know, where you mess up and sure, I'm love gonna like that. You, I'm going to tell you, you messed up, but I'm also going to stand there and go, okay, so now what's, what's, what should we try now? What should we yeah. do next? You, you pay the, you pay the price for these things that you, you know, did wrong or whatever happens. You have to, you know, the c culture has things you have to do to make up for that. But what should we, let's start thinking about the next thing, because I think yeah. as human beings, we're so likely to just keep living that thing. And that, when you wrote that in that, in that book, um, I even read it to a friend of mine and he goes, I don't know. And I go, no, cause you could just, cause you didn't, you, you weren't, maybe he wasn't supposed to hear that. And I'm, but when, when you spoke that in that book and it read to me, it was right where I was at. I mean, exactly yeah. like, just like this playing where you're going, you know how you have those revelations when you're like going, Oh my yes. God, that I didn't. And it was almost, you know what it was like? It's like, I remember one time when I was a kid I'd had some teeth work done and they went in and the dentist started tweaking around some of my molars and all of a sudden he reached in he goes and he pulled this thing out and i just oh and not to be gross but all this pus came out yeah and it was i had had a bone break in there and it had yeah. abscessed he goes that's probably been there for five years and you got used to the pain you just and it just and and mm. then so when the pain came out it was like i don't have to deal with that anymore and that's what that when that what you wrote in here that's what yeah. that was for me it was a it was a sliver coming out that was all infected and and it was like oh my gosh i don't have that this is so much easier i think that i think what your book does kind of Doug, is it makes it makes it it makes it um and i'm going to say this and other people are not going to understand it but i really care it makes it easier because what's hard for me about church is the bullshit and the dogma and the sure. garbage and the stuff, because you know Absolutely. what? I think I'm a spiritual guy and I think I feel that and, and it senses it. And it's like, no, 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 there's supposed to be something else here. This is not what it is. And I think that's God going, keep going, Rick, keep going. You're right. Absolutely. This is not what it is. And so when you write a book like this, it just tears the scab off the whole thing. And it's just like what we're seeing in politics right now. Excuse me. I'm going to get a little political, but you see Democrats running scared because they did all this crap for two years and put this big old cancer on here and now it's been exposed and it smells and it's like so they're going to try to get you not to think about it it's the same thing that happens in church it's like when you start exposing the bullshit then all of a sudden people are set free and that's what the powers that be don't really want because sure. it takes away um their standard of living their power their you know all that absolutely other yeah, I'm. I am absolutely thrilled to hear all that, Rick. I'm. I am tickled to hear all that, and I think you're. You're nailing it. What I think, even the higher level look down at what this book is doing is, I'm trying to put the the good news back into the good news, uh, that proclaims the real and authentic Jesus apart from all the all the crap that goes right. along with it. That is just mucking it up. That. When you're in the middle of this, it's the thing about deception. When you're in the middle of being deceived, you don't know it. 
So you need something to kind of expose it, give you a break so that you can take a look at it and just see if it's not true. That's all I'm asking is people take a look at this, examine the evidence, study it for yourselves and see if what I'm saying isn't true. It's not going to send you to hell for just looking at an opposing idea. If you're a true truth seeker, which I believe every authentic called out one is, you're going to want to get at God's truth, aren't you? Jesus is the truth. He says so. He's at the end of every search for God's truth. Give him a chance. So Jeff writes, if God is all knowing and our life is laid out before we live it, what about free will? Also, that would mean praying for something to change is questioning him. Um, I don't agree with that, Jeff. I, I love you to death, but um, I don't think, I think we become part of his team. If you're praying for something, I, and me, if I pray for something, that um, in my life or things like that. I, I was a, a, not a prayer about everything kind of guy. And then I read this book, this Jewish uh, rabbi wrote this book. He says, pray about everything because, and you know what, and, and what I always hated that because it sounded like an excuse, you know, oh God, help me to, you know, have a good stool this morning, <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, and everything like that. But what he said changed my world was that when you do that, it takes away your ability to take credit for anything. So everything good that happens in your life, if you're praying, God, please help my kids, help me to help, um, help my clients, help each one of my clients. And if the, all that stuff, he goes, then you can't take credit for it as a human being. Otherwise you will. And it, and it rocked my world. I kind of did. Um, but I also think, I, I don't think our life is late. I think our life, there's a pattern, don't you, Doug? There's a pattern laid out there, but God, we have free will. And that's why we mess up. Otherwise I'm not a robot, but, but the point would be what? Yeah, well, I I personally believe <laughs> that the Bible puts forward this model of God is absolutely in control and authoritative and has essentially scripted everything, right? He is the divine author. However, from our perspective, we have free will, right? We are not God living out our lives from his perspective. We are, and so we need to act out in the role that he has written us in, which as far as I'm concerned, I got to make all these decisions and, and I have the, uh, the decision or the ability to make the decision to jump out the window right now or not. That's up to me from my perspective. And so that's uh, not an evasive answer. It's kind of more, it's more to it than we have time for answer. As far as prayer goes though, I talk about prayer, mostly corporate prayer, because that's what the book's about is when we get together. But I am so convinced that, you know, like a psychologist or whoever will tell you now that communication is 90% nonverbal. And I am 100% convinced that that's the same thing that goes with God is prayer is not just a formal get down on my knees and say my prayers before dinner or at bedtime or before we bless the meal when we have a bunch of people over or standing up in front in church on Sunday. And, and at the end of the service on Sunday, the pastor basically recites his sermon again to God and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Prayer is <clears throat> your very life. You are communicating with God in your very, right. every action, every word you say, and uh, um, thing that you do, you are communicating something to him. And so that's, I'm not saying don't purposefully pray. I think that uh, there's all sorts of scriptures that indicate that we should do that too, but don't sweat not 
telling God what to do all the time as right. though, as though we're going to, from our little teeny ant perspective, going to tell the sovereign God of the universe how to run things. Right. If I, you, I would do this with my life, Lord. Exactly. Um, okay, so I'm going to have you back, okay? I'm going to read more of the break, Great. and I'll have you back. Um, because I have to get this under an, an hour, or I have to go in and edit it so I can get it on Instagram and all the other channels. Okay. So thank Thanks you so much for, for having me. I appreciate it, and we will have you back, okay? Great. Thanks, all right. All right, you guys. So that's it. I got 20 seconds to wrap this baby up. Um, so thank you for being here again. We all want to thank Chris Dental Family Dentistry, New Leaf Hyperbarics and Wellness Center, and Buck Sanitary Service. And go take our survey. We'd really appreciate it. We want to know what you guys are looking for. It doesn't mean we're going to do it. <laughs> you know me, but I want to know what you think. You know that. All right. Have a good night. Um, we'll see you tomorrow. Um, I can't tell you what it's about because I got to get off.